want you to open your Bibles now, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. How many of you are familiar with the name Steve Fawcett? Do they know who Steve Fawcett is? Well, some of you do. Steve Fawcett was a, was a multimillionaire who many people would consider to be the consummate individualist. He was the first person to fly solo around the world in a balloon. And in fact, he made five trips around the world in various types of vehicles. He, uh, he held at one time 116 individual world records, and 60 of those world records still stand. On September 5th of last year, Steve Fawcett took off in a plane from, from a, a Nevada airport, flew out over the desert, and never returned. They searched for him for about a month, and then on February 15th of this year, they declared him to be legally dead. Now, Steve Fawcett was a person who was just a rugged individualist. I mean, he was the kind of person that he could just seem to be able to do anything he wanted to do on his own. Well, what what he did worked very well for him, but it wouldn't work very well in a church because the church is not made up of individualists. We are all individuals, of course, but we, it wouldn't work well in a church because everybody who's in a church depends on other people. And the first time that we decide that we're going to step out on our own and we're going to make a name for ourselves, that's when our focus leaves Christ and the focus becomes us. The Bible describes the church as a body, and body parts do not work independently. The church is made up of all kinds of individuals, that's true, but those individuals come in and they all become a part of the body. And one of the things that's remarkable about the history of the church is that we don't find that a lot of intellectuals have become Christians. There aren't a large number of people that are rich that have joined the church. They're the social up-and-comers. Those aren't the ones that join our churches. And that's exactly as to be expected. Because you remember what Paul said in, in the first chapter? He said, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He doesn't say that not any of those people are called. He says not many of them called. And although uh, the church is made up of people that uh, perhaps are, are, there aren't a lot of intellectuals, maybe there are not so many rich people, maybe there aren't so many famous people, and yet the church is the most formidable institution upon the face of this earth. The Scripture teaches us about salvation and about the commission to preach the gospel to people, and that is the very thing that changes lives. So there are some people in the church that are more prominent than others, and sometimes we may be a little bit confused about who are the greatest members in the church. I want to talk today about how all members of the church are needed and many times that the people that we think are the very least, in God's eyes, they're actually the greatest people in the church. Let's stand, please, as we read God's Word. We're starting today with verse number 21 in this 12th chapter, and we'll read down to verse number 31 to the end. 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 12, verse number 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now remember, here Paul is comparing the, uh, the human body to the church. Nay, much more, than those, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. 
But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Starting in verse 28, Paul gives us a list of more spiritual gifts. He said, And God has set some in the church first, apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. Uh, We ask you that you'd help us, Lord, to explain the text before us. Help us that each person here would really understand how important your church is and how important every member is to the functioning of this body. Bless us as we teach your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. The wonderful thing about salvation is that God says, whosoever will may come. There's only one requirement to be a Christian, and God hasn't excluded any types of people from being Christian because there's only one requirement, and that is it doesn't make any difference how rich you are, how poor you are. makes no matter what race you come from, what your color is. We only have one requirement, and that is we put our personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that it takes for you to become a Christian. And we sometimes evaluate things much differently than the Lord does. And so it's not surprising that we have differences of opinion about who, in fact, might be the greatest people, the greatest members in our church. I want to begin by talking about that today. Let's talk about the greatest people in the church. Would you look at verses 23 and 24 again? And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Do you understand that the church is the most unusual organization on the planet? I mean... What organization that we know of today would take the people that are the least esteemed, the very weakest, the very ones that perhaps are not socially acceptable, and make them the people that have the most honor? Paul talks here about a body, and he says that some of the parts of your body are uncomely. And what that means is that you have some parts of your body that you don't show off. Now, I don't want to get too graphic today because that would be embarrassing for most of us, but there are parts of our bodies that are called private parts, and very simply, we are modest enough that we don't show those. Well, in the church, we're supposed to take the members that most people would not want to have very much to do with. We're to take the people that that are not perhaps socially acceptable to other people, ones that you wouldn't give too much consideration. And the Bible says that we're to take those people and we're to pay special attention to them. And the reason that we do that is so that they might also feel like they're a part of this body. I remember when I was in church back in Kentucky, much younger than I am now, but there was an old lady in our church who had a handicapped daughter. These were very poor people. This lady was 
I think probably in her 80s about that time, and her daughter was uh, born mentally handicapped, and this lady had taken care of her daughter since birth. Perhaps she was then probably about 50 years old. One thing about these people, they didn't really smell too good. They came from the slum area of the city, and for most, most people would think, well, that person doesn't have much to offer to a church. There's no prestige there. They have no money that they can give. And I remember that I was thinking, why, as a, I mean, as a young person, why, why do we even have to, have to fool around with these people? But every Sunday morning and every Sunday night, my dad would drive to their house and we would pick them up for church. And I kept wondering, they don't smell very good. We have to go to a bad area of town to get them, so why do we even bring them to church? You know something, I learned something since that time. The person who has their quirks and the people who seem to be a little bit off, and every church has some of those, there are people that are just a little bit off, but they are a part of the body too. And these are people that need to be loved, loved and they need to be cared for because we certainly do need to understand that they are every bit as much the body of Christ as we are. If they're God's people, if they're saved, they're ever much a Christian as you are. And then not only that, I think about that, that poor retarded lady from her birth. She could never understand the gospel of Christ. Uh, she had no capacity to understand what was being spoken to her. And I think that a person who is incapable a person who can't put their personal faith in Christ because of a condition like that, I certainly do believe that God has included that person in his atonement. And so that person who has a mental handicap, I believe they're going to be in heaven. And I believe that God's going to make them perfect when they get there. And so I believe that God wants us to take care of them. They might be little in our sight. Sometimes they might be insignificant, we think. But these people are precious in the sight of God. Now, let me make two observations about this today. First of all, don't judge by the appearance. Did you know if people judge by the appearance that even the Apostle Paul would not have been considered to be much in the church? There's actually an ancient description of Paul. We don't find it in the Bible, but in other writings, there's an ancient description of him that said that he was a short, fat, bald man with bowed legs. We know from reading his own writings that that people considered him to be contemptible in speech. He wasn't very much to look at all. We get that from secular writings. And the problem here is not everybody can be a fine specimen of humanity like me. That's just not possible. Amen. Some of the, some of the greatest preachers in history were by no stretch of the imagination handsome or were they refined in their matter, manners. Uh, D.L. Moody was virtually illiterate before he became a preacher. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, it said that he was a thin man, pencil thin, that hovered over his messages and he read them straight in a monotone as he preached. And yet God reused those kinds of people. Under Edwards, back before the Revolutionary War, 30,000 people came to know Christ under his preaching. That was one-third of the population of, the America, of America at that time. So you just can't look at a person and determine, well, this person, this person is the greatest person in the church. So you don't have to be a beauty queen. You don't have to be one of the Rockefellers to be useful in God's church. And the ones that we think are the greatest may, in fact, not be the greatest at all. Secondly, I want you to notice about this, that you shouldn't judge by the applause. 
There are a lot of people that stand out in the church. I mean, there are people that are attractive, folks that are charismatic. People like to get next to them, and, 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 and they, they want to be friends with those kind of people. But they're not always the kind of people that God uses. You already know my feelings about this. But one of the things I really hate, I hate to go to one of these big preachers' meetings or one of these conferences, and, and the big evangelist or the pastor walks in, and everybody stands up and they start clapping and they give the cat calls and give all the applause. I don't like that because I don't think that the preacher is the one who deserves the applause. We're just instruments in the hands of God. What we ought to do is give honor where honor is due, and that's to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's leave the personalities out of these things. I don't like it when people go up to preachers and they want to get their autograph to sign their Bible or something like that. Like, like here's the big evangelist. Here's the big famous preacher. Let me get his autograph on my Bible. Well, if he needs that, he's certainly not the greatest person in the church. The greatest people in the church don't go seeking for applause. I tend to believe that the greatest people in the church are the ones who labor behind the scenes. I think that these are the people who will be here every single week cleaning up this building, people that will go out there in the yard and work there, people that work in the parking lot in order to make this place presentable for us on Sunday morning. I tend to believe that the greatest people in the church are, are men and women who showed up here a few years ago when our baptistry overflowed. And very early on a Sunday morning, they had mops and they had brooms and they had buckets and they were carrying water out of here so that we could have a service on that day. I think that the greatest people in the church are the sound guys back there. These, these are the fellows that tell me, don't you worry about it. We're going to take care of things. We'll be here. We'll make sure that everybody hears the Word of God when it's preached. I believe that the greatest members in the church are these ladies that are over there in the nursery right now. You don't see them on Sunday morning. They never even make it into this service. And yet they're over there taking care of those little children so that you can enjoy the service right here. Don't ever judge by the people who get the most applause because the greatest members in the church very often are the people who go mostly unrecognized. And we need every single one of them. We're a body here, and we can't function without all the body parts. So we really don't have any room for the individualist. We don't have room for the person who says, this is all about me. So what we really need to do is to bestow some honor on the least seen parts. Let's take care of those people. They're every bit of part of this ministry is the preacher who stands behind the pulpit. My ministry does not go on without your ministry. And this is what Paul is talking about in verses 25 to 27. We are all members together of the body. We make up the Lord's church. And so we ought to have care and concern for one another. God has put us here to watch out for one another and to take care of one another. And so what we do is when one member of the church rejoices, we rejoice with that person. When another member is sad, when he's weeping, then when there's a problem, we weep with that person. When we laugh, we all laugh together. And certainly we ought to do this. We ought to love one another just as Christ loved us. Now, let's go on here because Paul goes on as well. And I want you to notice, secondly, the gifted positions in the church. We've been talking about spiritual gifts for a few weeks. And I do want you to understand, again, that God does gift people supernaturally for works that they do in the church. Verse number 28, Paul mentions some of these gifts. And there are some in this list that we haven't yet mentioned. So we're going to talk about those today. Now, in this list... There is the gift of tongues. 
We're going to spend some time on that when we get to chapters 13 and 14, so I'm not going to preach about tongues today. But I will speak to you about four that are mentioned here that we haven't yet talked about. Look at verse number 28. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Most Bible expositors agree that what we have here is actually a ranking of the gifts. In other words, they're ranked from the most important in the church to those that are the least important. I'm not going to talk about tongues today. I told you I wouldn't do that. But I want you to look where tongues is in this list. This is a ranking of gifts. Many churches put tongues as the number one priority in their church. But right here in this list, Paul listed as dead last. That is the last of all of the gifts. Well, what are these positions? What are these gifts that we're going to talk about? Well, the first one is the gift of apostleship. The gift of apostleship. And this is a foundational gift. I mean, the apostles are the foundation of the church. The Bible says that that this church, that the Lord's church, is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles. You can go back to Ephesians chapter 2, and you can read about it there where Paul says this. These 12 apostles that Jesus chose, they became the building blocks of the church. He organized those 12 men into the church. And I would say, uh, make sure that you know this, that they were a church before the day of Pentecost. Many people believe that the church started on the day of Pentecost, but Jesus called out these 12 men prior to that time, and he'd already organized them into his church. These were people that were all baptized by John the Baptist. Now, Paul later, I believe, was also added as one of the foundational apostles in the church. Remember the story about Judas Iscariot when he betrayed Jesus? When he betrayed Jesus, after after he'd done that, he expressed some remorse. And the Bible tells us that he went out and he hanged himself. After he did that, the apostles got together and they chose another apostle. Remember who that was? Anybody? Matthias. They chose Matthias to be another apostle. And we don't read anything about Matthias except two verses in the book of Acts where he was chosen. Now, when we get into the book of Revelation, it tells us there that in the city of the New Jerusalem, that the foundations of that city will have in those foundations inscribed the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, we know that Peter's name is going to be there. We know John's name will be there. Matthew's name will be there. Andrew's name will be in there. Who do you think that 12 apostle is? Who's that 12th one that's in the foundations of the city? Think that might be Paul? Or is that Matthias? If you know the answer to that, please let me know. Tell me. Somebody may ask me that in Sunday morning forum class, and I do not know the answer to that question. But I do know this, that the apostles were foundational in the church. These are the ones that God set in the church first. They had special powers and special abilities. God gave them diversity of gifts. And the apostle was one of the first ones set in the church. And and, and a prerequisite, I mean, something that this person had to have before he could even be called an apostle was that he must have seen the resurrected Jesus. Anybody here ever seen the resurrected Jesus? Anybody here ever seen Jesus at all? I'm not talking about by faith. I'm talking about with your physical eyes. Well, you don't know anybody that's ever seen Jesus, and neither do I. These men were set in the church in the beginning 
they are the foundational people. And when they died, there were no more apostles. When John died, who was the last apostle, there are no apostles after John. And that includes, friends, the popes of Rome. They are not successors to the apostles. So we don't have apostles in the church today. The next gift that I want to talk to you about is the gift of the teachers. And this I call the formative gift in the church. Now, in this list here, we we see that prophecy comes next, but we've actually already talked about that. The primary gift of teaching goes to the pastor, but the pastor also has to have this gift of prophecy. And remember, prophecy doesn't mean that the pastor or the preacher is able to foretell the future. It's talking about preaching. You're not foretelling the future. If I could foretell the future a few weeks ago, I would have been in the Kentucky Derby instead of being here. I can't do that. But this is talking about preaching. So the pastor has that primary gift of of preaching and the primary gift of teaching. That's his responsibility. But there are also other people in the church that God has gifted with the ability to teach. Teaching is what we call the planning out, the preparing, the presenting, and the applying of the Scriptures. And if you are a teacher in this church, if you have a Sunday school class, you ought to remember what I just said because you have to have all of those pieces. And if you don't do all of them, then you shortchange your students and you shortchange the Word of God. And so what I mean is when you get up before your students, you make sure that you have prayed over, that you have planned out, and that you have an application of the Scripture. Now, that's essential. You have to have the prayer. You have to have the preparation. Also make sure that you have an application. So you can come to to your Sunday school class and, and you can read the Bible. You can read your lesson, but your students are able to do that. What they need is somebody who can apply the Scriptures for them. So you need to do that as well. But the teacher is the one who forms the student. The teacher is the one who who tells students what the Bible means. And do you know that many of your students will form their opinions of what they believe about Scripture by what they've heard in your Sunday school class. I believe that that Christians need to study the Word of God for themselves. Certainly we ought to. But much of what forms our interpretation of Scripture is what we've heard from people in our Sunday school classes, what you've heard from the pastor. The opinions that, that kids build on, the opinions they get, are many times instilled right in them in that Sunday school class. That tells you, you have an awesome responsibility when you handle the Word of God. The very last thing that you want to do, you do not want to lead your children astray. You don't want to lead that child astray. So, it's an awesome responsibility. I'd be less truthful today if I said that all the opinions that I have of Scripture are purely my own. I study the scriptures to try to prove out my opinions, but the honest truth of this matter is the way that I approach scripture, that was instilled in me by my father, who was also my pastor. I mean, he taught me these different things, and I interpret scripture in the light of the way that he taught me. And I'm sure that there are people here today, every one of you, you can probably point back to a person in your Bible education or even in your secular education. They taught you something, you remember that, And that's been a part of your opinion ever since. Be very much aware of it. Teaching is powerful. And so you want to make sure that the Holy Spirit is guiding what you teach. And when he does, old people and young people alike are are led in the truth of God's word. Now, the next thing we want to mention here are the helpers. And I call this the fervent gift in the church. Now, we've been talking 
We've talked about healings in the past, so we're going to skip over that. It's in the list as well. But look here in verse number 28. It says, there is also a gift of helps. And I think this largely refers to the people that we've already talked about a moment ago. I mean, these people are the unsung heroes of the church. These are people who work behind the scenes. They work without any recognition, and they love the Lord so much that they are just excited about doing something for God. They're fervent about what they're able to do for the Lord, just the opportunity they can serve God. Now, these are people that serve. I'm not an expert on who has which gifts, but I can give you some examples today of people I think have the gifts of helps. I think Mrs. Silva has the gifts of helps. Now, who is it that prepares a meal when, when somebody is sick? When somebody's just gotten out of the hospital and they can't do that, who, who organizes all that? That's Mrs. Silva. What if somebody dies in your family and you're bereaved and, and you really just don't think about food? That's the furthest thing from your mind, but you have to eat. Who takes care of your family and brings you that and, and organizes the ladies or, or the men or whoever to bring you food? That's Mrs. Silva. We call that a gift of helps. I'll tell you other people in the church that I love who have the gift of helps, the Sharons and the Morrows. I mean, they, these are people that just seem, it runs in the family. They have the gift of helping. Dave, Dave Sharon and Dave Morrow, you're not going to see them up here preaching a sermon anytime soon. I've been trying to get them to do that. But uh, they're not going to be doing that anytime soon. But if you need help with something, they'll come and help you. If they know how to do it, and even when they don't know how to do it, they're going to come and they're going to help you because they just have the gift of helps. How many of you remember shy little Gail just a few years ago? You know, Gail, when she first came into the church, you'd be lucky if you could Gail to speak to you. She was too shy. But now Gail is taking charge of things. Gail is out there serving people. She's always helping somebody. That's how God gives people just an ability to come into the church and really to help. Now, there are more people out there that are like that. I mean, I can't mention all of you today. And the ones that I have mentioned, they're probably embarrassed because I did because they're not seeking the recognition for what they do. They just love to serve God. They want to do something for the Lord. And I believe that's what the Bible's talking about when it says the gift of helps. Now, there's one more here that I want to mention we haven't talked about, and that's the guides. I call these the formalizers. Now, there you'll see in the scriptures the word governments. That's in verse number 28, the, the gifts of government. You know, I wish our government had the gift of government. Unfortunately, they don't. But actually, what this word means is administrators. It means guides. They're people who have the gift of leadership. Really, what this word means is someone who steers a ship, someone who keeps the ship going in the right direction. In fact, in Acts 27, verse 11, this very same word is translated as master, the master of the ship. This is the helmsman of the ship. He's the one who guides the ship into the right direction. Now, a pastor has to be more than just a preacher. He also has to be administrator. He has to be someone who keeps the ship, who keeps the church going in the right direction. But I thank the Lord for this. It's not just the pastor who does that. There are good, godly men. We have a fine group of deacons that God has given us to help us to be good guides, to be counsel for us. God's given us men of wisdom. You know, I don't want to be a pastor who says, everything has to be my way. We're going to go the direction I'm going, and we're not going any other way. I'm not going to listen to anybody else. 
I don't want any counsel from anybody else. And there are pastors of churches that do that. They're not interested in anybody else's opinion. But this word is actually has, carries with it the mean, meaning of counsel. And a pastor who doesn't seek counsel and doesn't seek good advice and, and, and have people help him, that's, that person's a fool, in my opinion. In the book of Proverbs, it says, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. So I don't want to be obstinate and just do away with counsel. Don't, just forget about deacons. God puts godly men in the church, godly men to help the pastor with administrative decisions. So we have this business that we have to take care of in the church, and so that's part of the gift of guidance. That's leadership. These people can formalize. They can put a seal of approval on the direction that the church is going. Now, there are many people that if you put them into a church meeting like this, if you put them into an administration meeting and, and they had to sit there with the deacons on a Tuesday night and try to make decisions, they would be totally bored about doing that. So what they do, God has given them something else to do. God has given them an important job in the church also. But thank the Lord that he's given us these people who have these gifts. Now, my point here today is that all of us are needed. We can't get along without the gifts. Now, you may think, well, the church will do just fine without me. The church can do without my gift. It really doesn't need what I do. But you are wrong. We need everybody doing their job in the church and using the gift that God has given. We're a body. And hands don't work well without arms. And feet don't work well without legs. We have to have the whole body. Well, there's still one other area I want to consider today, and this is in verses 29 and 30. He says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? The way that those questions are asked in the Greek, there is an obvious answer. The obvious answer is no. Not everybody is an apostle. Not everybody can teach. Not everybody deals in the spiritual world. Not everybody heals. Not everybody speaks with tongues. And remember that one because it's going to come up later. Not everybody does that. Not everybody interprets tongues. That gives me the last consideration today. Number three is the gracious provision for the church. Now again, thank the Lord for this, that he diversifies the church. He doesn't make everybody a preacher. Everybody in the church was a preacher. We'd soon get tired of having people preach at us all the time. Not everybody in the church is a teacher. There are no students if everybody is a teacher. Not everybody in the church is an administrator, a guide, or a leader. Because we all know what happens when you have too many chiefs and not enough Indians. God spreads it all around so that every person in the church is vital in their particular territory. Now, notice then that all have a gift but not all of the gifts. Not one Christian in the church has all of the gifts that we've mentioned here. Now, if everybody did, then you could be a Steve Fawcett. You could be the individualist. You, you, could, you could be a church all by yourself if you had all of the gifts. But God hasn't done that. Now, he hasn't, doesn't want us to go out and set our own records and run a church by ourselves. With, with the whole point of the chapter is to prove we can't get along by ourselves. We need everybody in the church. Then secondly here, one gift is not common to all. And what I mean by that, there is not one underlying spiritual gift that every Christian has automatically when you get saved, God has given you this particular gift. That's not what the scriptures teach. Not all Christians have one common gift. 
Now, let's, let's, let's separate something here. Now, we're not talking about fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit are different from the gifts of the Spirit. As a Christian, you can have all of the fruits of the Spirit. Read those in Galatians 5, verse number 22 and 23. You can have all of the fruits of the Spirit. If you are led by the Holy Spirit, if you depend upon Him, you can have all of the fruits. But you're not going to get all the gifts. God diversifies the gifts throughout the congregation so that every person does not have a common gift. Now, this is why it is so dangerous for you to get mixed up with people like charismatic churches. They keep telling people, pray, 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 and you will get the gift of tongues. Now, we've just read that the Scripture says that not everybody has the gift of tongues. And yet they'll say, you need to pray for that because you need to get up here with the rest of us. You need to pray to speak in tongues. Well, he says they don't all speak with tongues. It's not a gift that's common to all. You don't pray for gifts. God distributes the gifts as it pleases him. And if you think you need to pray for them, there's something that you're going to ask God for. You don't understand what Paul's talking about. And you don't understand what he means by these gifts. You know, I once had a lady who came to me uh, talking to me about the gift of tongues. This was several years ago. I said I wasn't going to preach about this, but I do want to relate this to you. But uh, this lady claimed to have the gift of tongues. And she said, you know, you Baptist, you're going to the feast, but instead of eating at the table, you're picking up all the crumbs off the floor. And what she meant was that the feast is tongues. The feast is the miracle gifts. And if you don't have that, then you're not really eating at the feast. You're just, you're just eating crumbs. That's okay. Call me a crummy Baptist if you want to. That's fine. The apostle's the one who says this, not you. So I'm going to agree with him first. So God has made gracious provision for the church by spreading all the gifts around. And if you wonder, does anybody need me? The answer to your question is, yes, we do. Now let me give you one last statement for your listening sheet today. Sort of sums up the chapter, verse number 31. He said, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet, show I unto you a more excellent way. So here's your statement. Pray for gifts that promote the church. Not for you to have a particular gift, but that God would send people into the church with all these different gifts, with a diversity of gifts, so that we can carry on and we can function properly as a church in the world. Now, when Paul speaks here about praying, he's not talking about the individual praying for their gift. He means the church as a whole. Let's pray that God will send us people with these different gifts. Now, he shows us here by his statement that not all of the gifts are equal. Some are more useful in the church than others, but we do need all of these gifts. So what are the best gifts? Well, we don't have the gift of apostleship anymore. That one's gone. Next comes the gift of prophecy, that of preaching. So you ought to pray for the preacher. Behind the preaching comes the other gifts. Now, look again one more time. Tongues comes dead last in the list. So if there were tongues today, that would be the very last thing that we would ever pray for. Pray for these other gifts. We need the teachers. We need the helpers. We we need the administrators. So keep praying that God will fill up his church with people who have diversity of gifts so they can help the entire body carry out the Lord's work. But not just that. Don't just pray. Put some legs on your prayers. I believe that God has a lot of people out there in this city that he wants to save and he will bring them into this church and they will use these special gifts, spiritual gifts that God has given them. Who needs those people out there? 
We do. We need them as well. And we need everybody here to use the gift that God has given you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your church. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us a part of this church. And we we just have all these people that have so many gifts that they use in your service. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to Christians' hearts today, that they would understand that being a part of the body of Christ, they need to be actively involved in what their church is doing. May they use the gift that God, that you have given them. Lord, I pray for some person here today who's not a Christian. They haven't received Jesus as personal Savior. Speak to their hearts. Help them to understand, Lord, that the only way, the only way that they'll ever be able to go to heaven is to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You exclude no person from the gospel of Christ if they will just believe. Lord, we pray that you would bless in this invitation. Speak to hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.